Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, apologies for the wait. Uh, Frank went out to get some smokes and almost got kidnapped into the Maxwell sex trafficking ring. He's here. He survived. We're screaming. Um, today, we will be speaking with Greg Conti. How are you, Greg? Good. How you doing, Eric? Good to, good to have you on the People's Square. So recently you had uh, you got rid of some legal trouble that has been haunting you for the last four years. So um, let's go into that. It was over the Michigan State University protests that were happening outside the Richard Spencer uh, speech. What? 2018, right? Yep. Yeah, so... Back in 2018, uh, Richard had put together a, a speaking event at MSU, and uh, it had been quite a quite an adventure, even just getting uh, getting the room booked because we had to sue, uh, MPI had to sue Michigan State to get them to uh, you know give us access to the um, to do anything there, and um, I think Kyle Bristow had been had had helped on that lawsuit and and we finally like sued and got in and um i mean just to kind of i mean you all know it was basically just a mini charlottesville um there was 500 communists masked some of them with weapons there were pictures uh you may have seen with people with uh not, certainly people got arrested with knives the most uh funny picture was a communist with a Spike brass knuckles look like something you'd see out of a, you know, in the trenches in World War One. Um, all of that's, of course, totally illegal, and you're not supposed to have that stuff. But the cops, as usual, uh, not only didn't do anything, they actually made the whole situation worse. Um, I'd actually talked to the cops in the weeks leading up to this thing and to the uh, MSU police, and it basically said... All right, guys, um, you know, you probably should check it's going down because the entire communist plan is posted there. So, you know, exactly what they what they're intending to do. Um, and I don't know if they ever did that. Uh, the person I was in contact with was a certain uh, lieutenant, now Captain Sean Mills. Uh, I've never met the uh, son of a bitch, but um, he he certainly I think he was in operational control. You know, I don't. Like this whole saga, there's so much uh, into it, and you'll kind of have to gu guide me this, this Eric, because I could just go off on any particular little thing here um, about like what a what a bunch of incompetent or evil uh, malicious people uh, cops are and the communists are and um, all of the state officials, lawyers, like everyone. Like Michigan is. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I know, got they, the impression that Michigan's actually like the most disastrous state in the country. I mean, second only maybe to like Florida, just how incompetent and evil they are. Well, you know, you know, it's funny. We, we know that Jews always uh, use the uh, the slogan, the, the banality of evil. Well, in this case, it sounds more like the the idiocy of evil. Like they, they're just idiotic enough to not have anything under control. Which makes me, but they're also really, really hardcore in policing the people just trying to engage in their First Amendment rights. So that makes me think it's not incompetence, but actually how the system is designed to work. And yeah, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was just 100 percent. That 100 percent. That, that's what happened. So you know, going back to um, March 5th, 2018, um, go go right into the action, right? So 
there were we were told I mean, the cops told us that we were supposed to distribute our tickets uh, at a parking lot um, somewhere else, like off campus so that we wouldn't have any issues. So we did that. Things went fine. It was a it was an absolutely freeze your ass off cold day that that day. I remember um, and I'm standing out there in a uh, like a just a regular shirt because I had sent my jacket in with um, with with Brian and Richard because I didn't want my jacket to get torn apart by by you know whatever shit the communists were throwing at us um and about 30 of us 50 of us or so met in this parking lot i passed out tickets there's a lot of twp guys um there were some random interested persons from the university and from the area who i gave tickets to and then um we got in a convoy of cars we drove over to where we were supposed to go to the this uh, agricultural pavilion on uh, MSU's campus, and so we drive over in a convoy of cars, and we approach the building like like the cops had told us to, and we come up to a um, a barrier, and the cop stops at the barrier. Cop comes up to the lead vehicle. I'm in the car. Matt Heimbach's driving. I'm sitting um, shotgun. Cop says, "Turn around and park behind you." Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, in front of us, there's 500 communists. And I'm like, well, wait a second. We can't go, you know, first of all, you told us, you cops told us we were supposed to park in a different place. Second of all, that's not secure. Third of all, can we just drive around, like, and park somewhere else? It's like we can avoid the communists. No, no, no. Please, please park here uh, underneath the, uh, the box being held up with the stick park here that's exactly no 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 we no not the over there we right know. here we here I'll, I'll direct you with the uh with the with the uh, glow the glow sticks here this no, one we've all you know we've all been we've all done this before we know communists smash windows slash tires all that stuff so we're like okay fine you know that's that's all what we have to do to go have our free speech like i guess all our i guess all the cars are getting destroyed oh well so we do that we get out we, we line up, we march over there. Um, we get back up. We, we on foot now are approaching this building. Um, it's in the middle of a giant open field. The cops have control of the entire open field. It just so happens that there's a mob of communists screaming for our blood between us and the building. Mm-hmm. And so I go up to the statey cops standing there. Uh, I think there were stateys. And I'm like, what's the plan, gentlemen? They didn't say anything. These sons of bitches stood there like stonewalling me. I'm like, all right, fine. And I, I, I said to the guy, you don't deserve to wear a uniform. And he looked, he looked, he like smirked like it was like, oh, the greatest day of his life. But um, I mean, I guess maybe. <laughs> I guess if you, if you, if you, I don't know. Really is, is there is there much honor in the uh, in the Michigan State University police uniform to? Uh, <laughs> well, not the state, not the state police you either. The like proud, the, the MSU police. <laughs> well, this is I'm talking about the state cops here. This right. is the state police force. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, yes. It, it was the MSU cops too, but this 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 guy was a state police cop. Right. Um, and they just like laugh and whatever. Um, yeah, I see. I so, see like university police, like like a bunch of Paul Blart types. I wouldn't really hold it against them. I think the state police were the were the big problem here, from what you're telling me. They probably were. I never, I never was able to get um, any of the uh, police records or anything like that to figure out what was really going on. But 
yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. Usually the state cops are the ones actually um, making the calls, even though if technically the local force is in charge, I mean, which is of course what happened in Charlottesville. Uh, yeah. One thing I want to add too, is that people, you know, you're, you're in the NJP. I am. One of the reasons that we do kind of, uh, we, we have to figure out a, a solution to this, but getting a permit for an event is actually one of the the big uh, <laughs> the big ways that they gay op you because what happens is that the police then and I'm not exaggerating here, the police will then set it up so that your your event is a shit show. The police, when they know, when they're tipped off in advance that you are having a picket or a protest or a conference or an event, the police will make sure that the hecklers can get in. And then when you defend yourself, they will arrest you. Uh, I'm not sure where the, the orders for doing this is coming from. It's probably coming from the feds. And if it's not coming from the feds, it's coming from the Anti-Defamation League. Wherever the orders are, this is how they do it. The police. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a real short term strategy, too, because, I mean, if I were in power, I wouldn't do that. I would be like, huh, maybe I should, you know, maybe my permits should actually mean something. And maybe I should actually honor permits so that people apply and get permits. So I know what the fuck is going on rather than fucking people over whenever they get a permit and, and follow the rules. Right. You know, it's a, it's really short sighted of them. Yeah, well, that's everything in this in this country. Yeah, <laughs> talk about well, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the way that the police have behaved at every recent event, um, including January sixth. You know, we we've seen uh, tons of reporting on Ray Epps. Um, this guy is an agent provocateur, and that that guy was planted there because they got a big permit, and the feds planted um, people there to incite problems. And uh, th- this is this was is that the guy was that the guy telling Ashley Babbitt to charge? Is that who you're talking that, about? That was the guy that was going up to everyone and whispering, let's go inside the Capitol. That guy oh, not whispering the night before he was yelling and he's like, oh, you know, I'll teach him a lesson. It, it's hard to 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 kind of parse the difference between a, a boomer blowhard and a federal provocateur. But either way. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of issues going on, you know. So anyway, continue with your story. Well, anyway, so I mean, I was mainly just kind of bring, you know, going through this just to illustrate the point that, um, it, like, we probably would have gotten into the building if there weren't any cops there, um, because once it was clear the cops weren't going to talk to us, we're like, all right, well, and we, and then we couldn't like, you know, go around to the side or like you try to try to avoid Antifa. It's like you either walk through Antifa or you go home. Those are your options. So, um, so we walk into Antifa, of course they start attacking, you know, start attacking us, throwing punches, like trying to block people. Um, we actually make some headway. Um, we're getting closer to the objective. Uh, you know, it's not just like all bruiser men in this column either. There's like, there's women too. There's kids. Uh, and, uh, and then the cops come in, you know, materialize their police line, uh, you know, of course, to quote unquote separate us. And they push us back uh, away from where we're trying to go. Uh, and then so that that like round one's over. And there's some pictures of, of me yelling at them and calling them uh, bad names then. Uh, 
And then I think I went, I, I, I talked to Heimbach and I said, well, all right, let's, you know, when you're in one of these situations, like, well, let's flank left. Let's try that. We've mm-hmm. got a little room on the left. It looks like um, we couldn't go right. Cause there are like fences that way. So maybe we can try flanking left. Um, so we try that same thing happens again. Um, Antifa like is there cops, cops come in, break, push us back. Um, people are kind of exhausted at that point. Um, I don't know how much time this had taken. It was sort of, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I come like, all right, well, I'm here to go to this, this stupid event. And I'm also supposed to be the person passing out tickets. Uh, I'm not just going to like walk away and go home. So I'm going to make a, you know, try to walk in myself. Um, it also just seemed like everybody else was exhausted and was kind of done. So I walk away from everybody else and this has the advantage of, uh, also drawing attention away from everybody else. Cause like the comments are still like harassing everybody, um, where they're at. And I like walk along those, um, walk along this field and I'm trying to like get around Antifa's, uh, get around like to the left. And like a whole line of them come out and run at me. And I sort of did the thing like you do in rugby, like when you're, you're running with the ball and you want to like, you want to create an opening, you kind of like flank really far out so you can like find a gap and then like go through. Um, but like I couldn't get a gap. And so I like, I went in, I ran over toward the cops and uh, like to get a breather and then to kind of look around and see if there was going to be some other opening. Right. And then at, at about that point, this cop like comes up to me, puts his hand on my chest and is like, what are you doing? And it's like, motherfucker, I've been trying to talk to you people this whole <laughs> fucking time. And now when people are and like, people are throwing things at me, screaming for my blood. And like, and he of course later admitted in testimony, they saw people throwing, throwing things at me and it's on video. Yeah. Um, you think now's a good time to have a fucking conversation. You fucking shithead. Fuck you. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I told him to do his fucking job. Um, he felt uh, threatened. I'm so scared. I'm wearing a riot shield and, or a riot gear, and I'm surrounded by my comrades who are protecting me. And this guy in civilian clothes is scaring me. Oh, I feel so scared. Yeah. Um, so he tackles me like totally unnecessary. If you just said, like, sir, you're under arrest, like, give me your hands. I would have, you know, surrendered. Like, that would have been it. That's yes. all he had to fucking do. That's all he had to do. Um, but, he, you know, he felt threatened like I was going to punch him or something. Uh, no, for the record, I was not going to punch him. I didn't. It didn't even cross my mind to punch him. I've never sucker punched anybody uh, in my life. Yeah, you're. You're, um, gen- you're generally speaking, you've always been a law-abiding citizen. I, I've known you for years, Greg, at least uh, informally, and you definitely uh, always try to cover all the legal bases. You know, you were you you did a lot of security work uh, for Richard and so on. You always try to cover all the legal bases. You're very meticulous about that. The idea that you were trying to assault this fucking cop is just utter bullshit. It was just utter bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, honestly we I'm, we fight to obey the law. I mean, we. We have done everything in our in our power. We always do everything in our power to meticulously obey the law. I mean, when we went to Waukesha, we didn't even we didn't even uh, jaywalk. We didn't even litter. 
I, one of our guys, I was smoking a cigarette. One of our guys goes, don't litter here because they're going to try to cite us. So I, we don't even litter. So uh, it goes right. to show you how, how fucking ridiculous this, this fucking Jude system is. But go ahead. Keep going. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, wrestles me to the ground. Um, and for, I mean, if you watch the tape, too, you like tried to throw me into the asphalt. Uh, yeah. He tried to like throw me downhill into the asphalt, and like he was kind of like, and I, I think this is like part of what they were trying to do with with um, with charging me is like say that I resisted arrest or something. It's like no motherfucker, you were pulling my arm up, like and pushing me down in such a way that like the only way I could have collapsed in in that like situation is if I'm like buckled at the knees and like basically pulled the cop down on top of me. And I don't know if you've ever been in the bottom of like a pile of guys. Um, it sucks when you're like in that position where you're like bent over, like you're, you're praying to Mecca, you know, cause you can't breathe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I can't breathe. Right. So like he, like, I eventually like, like, I I know how to get tackled and I know how to just say, did you say I can't breathe? (laughs) I told him to fucking relax. Um, but, uh, you know, of course his, his video, uh, camera conveniently broke. And uh, then, you know, other like three or four cops all piled on, um, get, get, get a little action. Right. And, you know, they arrested me and, and that was it. Um, and, you know, they took me over. They took me over to the, the car, um, gave me. Uh, gave me a ride over to the jail. I, I spent like probably an hour just waiting and, and processing, you know, Actually, after I was arrested, they took me to their uh, their objective rally point, um, which they had. They had a whole like giant like farm building occupied with cops. They had like tons of cops back there. They had the whole uh, quick reaction forces. And you should like I'm sitting there on the prison bus, like watching these cops. And they they like must have called for another platoon or something. And these fuckheads are like putting on their unit, their riot gear. They didn't even have it on. And they're like trying to figure out how to put on their stupid riot gear. It, it was like, you clowns, um, to go and like, I guess, I don't know, push us back even farther. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, took me over to prison. I spent. What's remarkable I, like, is why didn't they, why didn't they make room for the people that wanted to attend the, the permitted conference, permitted speech by well, Richard? They, they did. I mean, you, I guess I, I found this out later, but there's, there's, pictures of like them escorting one or two, you know, one guy one at a time here and there into the building. And they like, there were a couple guys who they escorted in singly. And these guys are like, their faces are bloody. Um, Antifa is like attacking the cops as they're like escorting these guys through the mob. So they escorted like, I don't know what, two, four, six, ten guys. I don't know how many um, right. in like that. And most people just gave up and went home um, and got attacked in their cars, like on the way out. And cops were just like, oh, I'm just going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. The negligence that they showed is is really one for the history books. Because MSU doesn't get as much attention as Charlottesville did. But no, um, but it was, yeah, yeah. The, but the negligence was, is, is incredible. Um, and really yes, cool. you, you do see a lot of corruption that is absolutely idiosyncratic uh in michigan because that's where you get a lot of these ridiculous fbi terror plots too right like the militia case that's falling apart 
Um, you get a lot of different issues like that. So, you know, what's going on there is, is no, the and question. It's, and it's more, you know, and, and it's more than just the cops because, I mean, in the last, my whole uh, four-year legal battle with these people, I got to know the ins and outs of the Michigan legal system. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a total clown show. Yeah, uh, I, was, like, I was talking to you throughout your, 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 your problem, and um, they were doing shit like setting court dates. So the, the audience should pay attention. They were setting court dates for Greg, which meant that he had to travel to motherfucking Michigan from where he's living. It's a long way. And he would show up to the courthouse, and no one would be there on the date of his hearings. Yeah, right. And, and that, that happened once. So it's, it's like a combination of, of just idiocy and, and, and uh, malice. Because <laughs> for like three years, basically, I was having pretrial conferences scheduled. And so usually what this meant was it would be handled by email. And, and for, the first, for the first two years of this, I had a lawyer. I had first normie lawyer and then I had um, I got rid of him and then I had Augustus for a few months uh, Augustus Invictus um, and that would have been fine like I I wanted to get Augustus because he's uh, he understands the like political angle of this whole thing so I was like comfortable with him because normie lawyers don't understand this or, or they choose not to um, so they're like worse than useless but with Augustus I was like okay fine like I can get a guy who and if I can get him pro hoc, if I can get him in to practice in the state, which there's a whole process for that, too, um, then I at least have somebody. Unfortunately, he got arrested on some other bullshit um, in uh, it was late December of 2019. Uh, he had some some issue with uh, with his wife. And I don't um, I'm not really sure how that I think it's resolved now. But yeah, but basically my lawyer was arrested. Uh, so. I was put in a preposterous position of having to go and argue, or like I had to argue with the judge why the guy who was my official, my lawyer of record, who had the guy who had brought Augustus into the state of Michigan, the guy who was a Michigan lawyer who had pro hoc vice motioned in Augustus, I had to explain, like I had to explain to the judge that this guy needs to be my lawyer for like two more weeks while I find somebody else. And that guy was like, oh no, I, I can't be your lawyer. Like I moved to like, uh, to be dismissed from this case, which he told me about like 24 hours in advance. Oh my uh, God. It, it was, no, I mean, I, I fought a, a bar complaint against the SOB. So it's like, dude, you can't give me 24 so, hours. So, so bail that, on me. Oh, just, to, just, just to go over it again. So just to make it very clear. So you got, Augustus Invictus to be your lawyer. Yes. You had another lawyer because people have to understand that when you get a lawyer from out of state, you need to have a lawyer in your in the state of the case to sponsor your lawyer. So right. your lawyer of record, Augustus Invictus, got arrested and was in jail, and the guy that sponsored Augustus didn't want to be your lawyer, was afraid to be your lawyer or whatever his problem was, right? Exactly. Okay. And, and he so was like, you're, you're showing up to court. Your, your real lawyer is in jail. Your backup lawyer doesn't want to represent you because he's afraid of the consequences. Right. Uh, so you're just there 
little old Greg Conti on his own, right? That's it. So I'm, I'm, so I'm basically arguing with my own lawyer in front of the judge being like, no, you can't quit. Like, uh, and, the, and it's like, well, I guess, I guess you can quit. I mean, and, and, and my, meanwhile, the judge is also threatening me with like, uh, I think she threatened me with, with time in jail if I didn't like whatever, like the, I actually, the reason I brought that whole thing up and I'm, it's hard not to get ahead of myself as I'm explaining this because the, like the amount of information you have to have, you can just understand what's going yeah. on. It's, it, it was good that you explained the, the pro Biche thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically you're having these hearings every month or you're supposed to, they're scheduled, but most of the time it's just all that needs to happen is you need to have uh, some kind of email correspondence. So your lawyer emails the prosecutor and says, Hey, do we have our monthly conference? And the prosecutor's like, yeah, we had our conference. Okay. And then that's it. Um, but the thing is, is that theoretically these things actually are conducted in person. And so on the official records, it says, we're having a pretrial conference. It's at this courthouse. It's at this time. If right. you don't get a separate piece of paper saying that it's being conducted by email or by Zoom conference, one has to assume that it's in person because yeah. the judge is going to throw you in jail or issue a bench warrant for you if you don't show up because they're like, well, see, he's just he's just skipping court. Ha ha. And they, they didn't tell you that it was going to be over Zoom, right? No, okay, so this particular time we're talking about back in July when I did show up to court, um, because, uh, right, I had not been told that it was going to be by email. I had not been told it was going to be by Zoom. Uh, so I showed up at court. You're driving, you're driving 12 hours to go to court. You got to get a hotel, I assume. You, you have to go through all this bullshit. You show up to the courthouse and nobody's home. And there's nothing online either. There's nothing online that says the courthouse is closed. Or like they're not conducting trials. Like right. I checked the website too. Um, That's really insane. And, yeah. and then uh, on top of that, like yeah, you, you, I I went to the courthouse. I went to the the correct courtroom. Uh, door lights are off. Doors are locked. Mm, no one's there. So I go down to the clerk's office and I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to go to a, a hearing today. I'm a pro se defendant. Uh, you know, where's my where's my hearing? And they're like, oh, I don't know. You didn't like, get an email? It's like, no, I didn't get a fucking email. Where's my hearing? And uh, if I asked them, I was like, well, I'm here and it's supposed to be here. No one else is here. Can I get a piece of paper from you guys saying that I was here? Like that you saw me. I mean, maybe you can't even like, okay, maybe you can't technically figure out who I am, but I can show you my ID and you can say a guy showed up here and presented this ID. Right. Um, so I at least have some evidence that I attempted to show up to this hearing, which isn't like here. Um, and they're like, no, we can't do that. Like, fuck you. Like, really? <laughs> fuck you. I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what I, what I, the way I, I squared this circle was I just sat down and wrote a motion in hand, by hand, in the courthouse. Yeah, I saw it. You, used, you used a piece of a composition paper and just fucking wrote by hand a motion complaining about it. Right. And, and I actually like I know that seems like amateur or unprofessional, but like it had it kind of served two purposes. One is it showed that I was actually in the courthouse, which is why I was writing it by hand. Right. Um, and the fact that I had stamps on it showed that I was in the courthouse. 
And then two, it also showed that like I can fire this crap off in like a couple hours and I don't need somebody else to write it for me. Because like in case there was any question in their mind, like, oh, maybe he's having everything ghostwritten. It's like, no, I wrote that myself. And that was like two hours. I wrote that for an hour and, and turned it in. Right. Yeah. I mean, frankly, they were just trolling you. They were just no, trolling. Just, I mean, it was just trolling. OK, you drive 12 hours, come out here, pay for a hotel, pay for gas, um, take time off from work or whatever, and uh, come to an empty courthouse. And then we we will uh, have someone with a camera pop out from the bushes saying you've just been pranked. Uh, you know, that that that's really what, what <laughs> they didn't even have the good. The, they didn't have the good, the good, the good intention to do that. part. That one wasn't even the worst thing. Um, so the next month. I go on and check the, the online record uh, of court like uh, hearings and stuff, and I. I I see that there I have a hearing scheduled and I see this on like. I have a hearing scheduled for like a week from when I'm checking. I was checking. I don't know. Let's say let's say it was August 7th. I checked. I had a hearing on August 10th or something or, or 12th. And. Uh, and like I'd received no notice of this, like I hadn't gotten a, a letter or anything like I'm not obliged to check the thing online. I just do because I know they're you know trying to play dirty tricks. Right. Um, and so I, I find that I have a hearing in Michigan in like less than a week. And so I start calling up. I call up um, the public defender's office because um, they they when you're a pro say defendant in the typical procedure in Michigan is that they give you a public defender. The reason for that is not to help you. That's like the, the real reason is that if they think that you're incompetent to represent yourself, that they have somebody else to continue the case. I, I'm pretty sure that's the real reason. So I call up my. Uh, my like body double imposter or whatever guy who's who's just there to like stand in if they decide I'm incompetent. And I'm like, well, you know, what the hell is going on? Do I have to show up to court? And he's like, oh, whatever. so I like the next day, write up a motion, send it overnight, spend a hundred dollars to get it overnighted there to say, I want this done by Zoom. Uh, I have the damn hearing. The judge isn't even there. It's just like the judge's clerk and me and the prosecutor there. It's not even on on the record. And then uh, and then, oh, and I, I get the official notice of the hearing a week later in the mail. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, that that that's a kind of nonsense that they that those are like you said, dirty tricks intended for you to break the law like they want you to break the law. They are they're pulling out all the stops so that it looks like you're jumping, you're, you're skipping your hearings so that they can put out a bench warrant just to fuck with you. That's what this was about. That's totally. I mean, I they act all nonchalant about it, like, oh, yeah, it was unnecessary. You didn't need to do that, but it's like, motherfucker, I know you were going to try to issue a bench warrant for me. Right. Like that's Everyone exactly what I'm trying to do. Everyone knows that. So uh, you wound up representing yourself, um, and. I remember you showed me when you were, you were working on your case. You showed me this this like pamphlet written by George Lincoln Rockwell, all about representing yourself in court. So clearly, this is not a new problem that distance no. have. This is going back to the 1960s. Rockwell and his guys had to basically learn how to be lawyers because one, getting an attorney 
is a, a competent attorney in particular is a fucking hassle when you're a dissident. Um, so you might as well just do it yourself, right? It's right. Like for any amount of money, you're not going to get a lawyer. Um, I mean, there's like, there's probably two or three lawyers in this entire country who like you could call on to do something like this. And they're better, better a fool for a client, better a fool for a client than a Jew for a lawyer. That's all I'll say about that. Um, yes, there it is. This is, uh, yes, you actually have the, uh, the, the, the little booklet which is really interesting. It's got like all these legal precedents in it and stuff. It's very, very fascinating. Yeah, it's called, it's called legal, legal Psychological and Political Warfare, and you can find it if you just type in Legal Psychological Political Warfare by George Legging Rockwell. You can find a PDF of it on archive.org. Right. Um, so tell me then what happened during your court proceedings when you started um, representing yourself. So I started representing myself in, I think it was January or February of 2020, um, after Augustus got, got arrested. And I, I initially had tried to like call up some other lawyers and see what kind, what I could get. Some guy wanted like a 10 grand, uh, retainer to represent. And it's like, no, screw you. Like, first of all, I, you know, like like with my first normie lawyer, I think you're just going to take the money and then not really represent, then just like half asset. So no, screw you. I'm not doing that. I'm better off like I uh, I if I will I will save money and not have a traitor on my own side if I just yeah. represent myself. Um, Oftentimes, when you get a, a non political lawyer that isn't knowledgeable about this either, they have good intentions but just don't know what they're in for. Or you just have another enemy in court, right? Another enemy in court. So you're fighting the prosecutor, the judge, the uh, the fake witnesses that they usually bring out, whether they're cops or anarchists, and you're fighting your own defense team, who are like, "Oh, my client is a is a huge asshole who deserves everything coming to him." But here's the technical uh, the technical reasoning for why he's not guilty. You know that kind of nonsense. And on yeah, top right. of that, you're paying ten grand for it for the service. Uh, so that that is why you know I'm not a lawyer. I can't give you legal advice. But if you have even half a brain, and you are being prosecuted or persecuted for your political beliefs, which Greg was, um, look into that. You know, maybe look for legal help behind the scenes as you represent yourself pro se. Um, if, if you're, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, like the biggest thing with all of this is like your problem isn't so much that you don't know what to, that you don't like know what to do. Your problem is that there's so many possible things you could do. It's, you don't know how to prioritize it and you don't know how to prioritize, um, like which arguments you should actually make and which of the enemy's arguments you should actually fight. Um, because you're just so overwhelmed with information, you can't organize it. On top of that, you're also pissed off because the entire thing is, uh, it's like an exercise in gaslighting. They're basically just, their, their position, the prosecution's position, the state's position is so absurd that you, like every single piece of it, you feel like you have to attack 
but you don't have the time or the energy to do that and to organize it all. I mean, you'd have to write volumes and volumes and volumes to, to right. repeat everything you're saying. Um, and so really what you need is you don't need a lawyer so much as you just need somebody who can think for you uh, and, and like basically organize everything for you. And so you don't have to like, you can just think about what they tell you to think about um, right. and kind of guide your, now, I don't know if that's if that's just my problem or if that's everybody's problem. I, I suspect that's kind of a common thing because there are some people who are actually pretty who are better at this. I think maybe Mike is one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, or maybe Cantwell is one of them who are, who are actually really good at this. Um, and the main and thing is time, having, having the time to do it. You know, if you're if you're I sitting, if you're sitting in, in, in uh, if you're sitting at uh, was it uh, um Marion, USP Marion, and you're you're inside all day and shit. You're you're in prison, and all you have to do is you're like check out your legal library. You can just sit around working on your case. Um, just but simply. But the, here's the other thing with that though is like, yeah, you could you could spend all your time working on your case, but on the other hand, like the whole point of the case is to get you to waste your time. Right. So. It's kind of like, well, I should ignore this and only do – ideally, you just want to ignore it and only do what is absolutely critical for you to do to waste the prosecutor's time or waste the – whoever's suing you, waste their time. Yes. Um, you don't want to be spending all of your time doing everything you possibly can do because that's actually accomplishing the enemy's purpose. Right. What One, one actual strategy that politically-minded lawyers use in cases that they perceive as political – is to overwhelm the judge and the uh, attacking attorneys with motions. You just you just keep filing motions until they're fucking frothing at the mouth, and basically, uh, they <laughs> some of them will give up, or you'll you'll just chip away at a lot of the things that they're accusing you of. Um, either way, I mean that was Mike's strategy in the Charlottesville case. Um, right. He, he just kept filing motions. Like you, you have to have the intuition and the the spatial sense so to speak to understand what their weak points are so for example in the charlottesville case a weak point would be that the anarchists were the ones who planned the violence so what do you do well you start subpoenaing anarchists you start subpoenaing various figures that prior to charlottesville were saying we are planning violence at charlottesville that is absolutely relevant to your case. You also start filing motions to, to censor your, your, your kind of publicity-minded uh, enemy attorneys like Roberta Kaplan, where you, you have all these different instances where she's openly and flagrantly violating uh, the, the norms of a, of, a, of a court case by going to the media and trying it there. Um, and you just keep filing motions and get the fucking um, get the fucking judge to, to opine on it. And half the time, the judge doesn't want to call negative attention from Jews to himself. So he'll just kind of be like, OK, uh, let's drop this charge or, uh, you know, tone it down or something like that. But one thing you never do is play under the assumption that these people can be appeased. They are unappeasable. When someone is coming at you for your political ideology, they are unappeasable, whether they are prosecutors or judges. So going in with the mindset of, well, I don't want to um, rock the boat or be obnoxious. Or no. no, 
The people that win no, in this country I mean, are the most annoying people. That's who wins. No, of course. The annoying that's, people. That's what I initially. Win. That's what I initially did. I mean, I, I, well, not what I initially did, but my my normie lawyer that I had, um, in like November or December of 2018, said that he wanted to file a motion in limine to prevent the the prosecution from mentioning my political beliefs, and that's that's when I got rid of him and and uh, transferred to Augustus because I was like, this is this is insane. Um, like I, I understand why a normie lawyer would want to do that or like why you would think that's a good idea, but I'm absolutely not going to tell the prosecution that I feel like I'm weak on my political beliefs and that that's where you can attack me. Like I want you, (laughs) I want them to think at the very least, I want them to think that if they bring up politics, I'm going to make it difficult for them. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to use that against them. Remember, so, I mean, it's and like, counterintuitive and, and it's not relevant in every case, but right. in, in, in Sines versus Kessler, for example, um, Cantwell was not afraid to defend his words and his actions and his political beliefs. Right. And it's like, if you, if you, if you don't have if you're, to, if you're not be, willing, yeah. if you, if you don't believe your political beliefs enough to say them in court, like you don't really believe them. I mean, because right. like a, a trial is basically like every word you say counts for a hundred words. Right. Uh, it's it's way more important than basically anything else you're going to do. And your speech matters a hundred times there. So if you're given the opportunity of a trial, why would you not use that to talk about your political beliefs? I mean, if you really believe that. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason why the jury did not find for the federal charges in Signs v. Kessler is because of Cantwell's rhetoric and oh, yeah. his, and his and his defense of his ideology. Um, that is absolute and also stressing the uh, ramifications of ruling in favor of that federal statute. I think that's why and the only reason why they found for any of the charges, um, including the state ones, is because Judge Norman Moon said, uh, I'm going to keep you here until you find them guilty for something. That's the only reason. And, and the way you know that is that they, the, the jurors found everyone guilty of uh, two of the main state charges. Didn't matter if they had a lawyer or what, if they even knew or were, were even present at the torch march. It didn't matter. They just found everyone guilty of the state charges, and they, uh, most of the defendants were free from the federal, uh, the federal assertions in it. Which, um, as much as, as leftists and Jews may be celebrating in, in, in the short term about that, the, 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 the initial numbers, which are in the millions, The Atlantic has an article out that came out about a, a week or two ago where they were basically talking about Sides versus Kessler as a massive failure and a waste of money. Because these guys, and this is the, the, the Jewish representative, was saying that um, basically, they're not going to pay millions. They're going to the, the the Supreme Court is very clear on punitive punitive versus compensation, and right. a lot of these guys are going to end up paying a hundred bucks. Um, yeah. for, for, no, I for, mean can't like I listened to a lot of that trial, and Cantwell absolutely did the correct thing. Not only the correct thing from a strategic point of, or like a point of view of you want to win this case, but just I mean, from also from a political point of view, that's absolutely the correct thing to do um like you 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 have you if you if you go all out like Cantwell, you have it both ways you get your to say your political piece you get to push your political ideology and you you have a chance of like not being thrown in jail or losing all your money 
Right. And also, this isn't true for all cases. For example, like if, if you're in the Adam Waffen division and your ideology is hail Satan, smoke meth and, and shoot. Uh, oh, you know, shoot well, people, I mean, yeah. Then, okay. yeah, exclude that from your criminal case if you can. But if you're just there, you just have a political ideology of, you know, we're white. We, we defend our race. We, we defend our interests. Um, you, you might be surprised, especially when the people that are uh, at least even informally or unofficially on the other side are Antifa. More people in America hate Antifa than they do open Nazis. That's just a yeah. fact. And that, that's and that's like why I was pretty confident about about my case, uh, just knowing that people hate Antifa. And I mean, I was like kind of like, you know, wargaming this like what uh what happens if if I have to go to Vaudeer and then who you know who do I want on my jury and I mean my conclusion was basically I just don't want Jews like anyone <laughs> other like literally like blacks fine Hispanics fine Arabs fine I don't care like anybody <laughs> possibly maybe not upper middle class white older white women might also be a bad thing but basically everyone else like fine Yes. Someone mentioned in the chat, too, that Cantwell had um, had this like guy who used to like dress like a Civil War reenactor as his lawyer in Charlottesville. Well, oh, are, you talking, are you talking about uh, what's his face? Elmer? Elmer. Yes. Elmer. Uh, Elmer motherfucking FUD, because that guy was is O for 100. And <laughs> he's probably made six figures off of representing the Charlottesville people in various different instances. And he has not achieved one legal victory throughout that thing. Uh, arg- arguably, Signs versus Kessler was the first real legal victory. Arguable, okay, arguable because they were still yeah, found right. guilty. Elmer, Elmer wasn't wasn't in Signs versus Kessler. No, he wasn't. And the yeah, other was, lawyers was, that were hired, yeah, they're, they're all very. There, there's yes, yes, there it is. Elmer Fudd. Uh, that guy has made bank off being the only guy willing to represent nationalists in the entire state of Virginia, apparently, uh, one of the few. And he simply was unable to win. I mean, he, if I recall correctly, Cantwell used him for his criminal case in Virginia, his initial criminal case, and he got, I believe, a plea bargain that wasn't very good. Uh, he just got out of jail. Uh, then he used him for a, a very plausible uh, de- defamation lawsuit, very plausible because he had damages. Two Antifa members lied under oath that he assaulted them, and it's on tape that they lied. They admitted that they lied. He sued them in civil court over that and uh, didn't really get the result that he needed to get with Elmer and uh then, of course, he represented some of these guys, I believe, in Signs versus Kessler for a while, and they all end up firing him because, like, it's just not not responsive. And this is increasingly what you experience as a political dissident when you hire that type of legal support, you know. So, yeah, going going dolo, as we used to say back in back in Queens, going dolo, uh, doing it yourself, you know, that that. You know, you're just going to have to learn how to do it. And Greg, Greg taught himself how to do it. So that's very impressive. And you you told me an anecdote where where the judge actually even said that you were a great lawyer, didn't she? 
Yeah, she a couple times said I uh, complimented my argumentation, um, you know, in between like threatening me with jail time. It was really it was like a really weird kind of <laughs> stop syndrome situation. I'm not I'm not sure if any of that was genuine or. <laughs> so tell me what you feel was the breakthrough, because I know you filed a ton of subpoenas. Um, and what do you think tipped the process? Did the, the D.A. just get tired of dealing with you or what? What do you think? Perhaps. Um, so I had a. After that August um, attempted hearing, uh, I had a I I filed a, another motion to dismiss. I I filed a motion to dismiss based on the right to a speedy trial back in February or March of 2020, and so I filed another one um, late last year. And uh, we had we had that hearing uh, by Zoom, and I. Pretty sure I had them like dead to rights on I should win this. Like this has been going on for three and a half years. All of the precedent indicates that that this should be dismissed with prejudice. Um, there had actually been a case that had only been in the system for like a year that had been dismissed right um, earlier in the year or earlier in twenty twenty one from that same judge, and so. Uh, so argued that, I mean, I, I brought up, I brought up a few things. Like I made it explicitly political. I attacked the, uh, political motivations of the, the chief prosecutor, uh, Carol Simon, uh, who's said publicly and like a zillion times that she wants to achieve equality in prosecutions. And so she's, uh, and she has a really bad relationship with the cops in Ingham County, Michigan, because uh, because she won't she's not prosecuting any uh, anybody that is pulled over in their car for having a, a taillight missing or something like that. Um, and then the cops finding guns or, or marijuana or anything like that. So basically, she's not prosecuting blacks. Right. And it is, it, it's a side, side note, but it was funny. Last time I was in Michigan, I noticed that like. I started seeing cars that didn't have license plates on like the rear of the vehicle. <laughs> I was like, I was like, is this, yeah. as soon as I got into Ingham County, it was like, there were cars missing license plates. And I was no, like, no. that's, like, that's the new fad. Now the new fad is that we're going to have Brazilian traffic where the cops are not allowed to stop people for running stop signs for, uh, having outdated registrations for not even having license plates. That's actually happening in a bunch of cities right now. They're just not prosecuting traffic, like even like things like running a stop sign, because they uh -huh. say that this disproportionately impacts blacks. Because when that happens, oftentimes the person doing it is high or drunk, or they have like visible weapons in their car, or they're up to no good. And so right. for that reason, it's racist because blacks end up being uh, getting prosecuted uh, at higher rates than whites, right? Because uh -huh. So, Guess who's up to no good, right? So that's right. that's so, common. That's happening everywhere in this country, by the way. I, I saw, I've seen. Right. Well, I, I just, Louis, I, I swear to God, Pittsburgh, as soon as I, as soon as I crossed the border, as soon as I crossed the border into Ingham County back in July, I started noticing license plates missing, and I was like, "What? What's going on here? Uh, is that a thing now? Can I just take the license plate off the back of my car and it's cool?" Oh no, uh, not apparently. you. No, not you. Oh, I know, not I can't. I know it's rhetorical. Obviously, I can't. Um, it, it, but anyway, it's so, so funny. Remember, white can do no white can do no right. 
that is the the very the very very uh, obvious point of the American criminal justice system. White can do no right. Black can do no wrong. So for blacks, like it's actually quite a, a, an accomplishment for them to actually be incarcerated. Like they really like have to do something repeatedly that's like really violent and dangerous or whatever to just get even a slap on the wrist of 30 days in jail. Yeah, it's funny, funny you mentioned that because like my bail was five grand. Uh, Daryl Brooks's bail for running over somebody with his car was like one grand. There you go. Funny. There you go. Five grand bail for you. I mean, I can't even believe not, that. Not even hitting a cop, even though he deserved it. They probably, uh, you know, part of the reason they wanted to, to, to set you up so you couldn't make your hearings was probably just to pocket your bail. Right. And, and bring you back in. That's it. That's probably what their motive was. Okay. Because someone who's, who's this, this, this prosecutor that you're telling me doesn't prosecute blacks and so on, that, that's someone that is going to have that political motive to fuck you. Okay. So um, it's really obvious that, that that was malice, not incompetence, what you were dealing with that whole time. Yeah, it certainly seemed like it. So, yeah, back to the September uh, hearing. Yeah, I made it explicitly political. I mean, I talked about her political motives, the, the chief prosecutor. Um, I said it's basically like I wouldn't be here if I were if I weren't white. Uh, if I were black, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, and I mean, that definitely like everyone was super like there was you know a number of lawyers sitting in on this the Zoom call waiting their hearing, awaiting their hearings, stuff like that. And everyone was kind of like quiet and really awkward. He's like, oh my God. Like he said, he said something racial. A white guy said something racial. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think that like kind of irritated them. And then I also said, like, I think the prosecutor's trying to set me up based on how he like scheduled a hearing and I didn't even get notice of it. Right. Um, and then immediately after that hearing, or like a few, week or two later, I think it was, um, I got the prosecution's witness list for the trial, um, which had two names on it. It had the arresting cop and this other cop, um, Jessica Mitchell, who had like said a bunch of bullshit about me that wasn't true. She alleged that, uh, I locked my knees when I was arrested. I don't know how the fuck you'd know that. Um, <laughs> and I'm not really sure, like, yeah, I'm not really sure how that you know, yeah, right, you're sure, trying okay, not to I, fucking tumble down the damn hill. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. So they, th those are the yeah. witnesses they were going to call. But never, you know, never mind the fact that I had, uh, they had given me like a dozen different cops had signed papers saying that I did something. Um, so I filed a witness list with like every single cop's name on it, every cop I could think of. I even added this cop. Um, there was some captain on MSU police who got busted like a year ago or so for drunk driving. Um, I fucking put her on the list. Uh, and then I put like every Antifa um, on the list. And there were like 20 plus of them who I found in like in I could find them in in, in news articles, but there wasn't uh, it was very hard to find any actual legal records. I think what happened with a lot of them is they got pled down to uh, um, civil infractions. And so their their like legal records didn't exist. Or I, I, I know at least one of the Antifa, her case was like actually secret or i'm not sure what the word is but like basically they can do a thing where they make it so that yeah they there's seal no it. public records of a case yeah it was sealed right sealed that's the word yeah um 
Well, but why did you why did you why did you use that poor police officer as leverage for your calf raises? Did you ever explain that in court? <laughs> okay. <Right? laughs> no. Anyway. I, I, uh, no, I mean, I, I had a I sent him a witness list with like forty names on it or something, and including a few names of guys who would be favorable witnesses for me. Uh, but Warren was one of them um, because he was there too, and. Uh, and then also a bunch of like MSU officials. And I also, I threw in Carol Simon, the prosecutor as a, as a material witness. Um, and, and then I started filing subpoenas. I just like sent in subpoenas on like a ton of these people and the court actually did issue a couple of them. I don't know if, I don't think they got, they didn't get delivered. I would have had to have, um, hired a process server, but basically I was in, I was just raining subpoenas down on the court. And then um, pestering them about delivering them. Yeah. And uh, and then the, and then I I guess it was November or so I reached out I reached out to the prosecutor. Um, and I you know like this was where I was going to make my deal right. I was going I I didn't I was ready to go to a trial if I had to, and I made it clear that I was willing to go to a trial. And then if I went to a trial, it would be a shit show and that I would make them do a ton of work. So I reached yeah. out to the prosecutor and I said, um, attached is my, I, I sent him an attachment with like, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was, I think it was my proposed, oh, you know what it was? It was my proposed jury instructions. I sent him like a six or 10 page, like proposed jury instruction, jury questionnaire with like all kinds of political questions. Like, what do you think of Antifa? Um, what do you think of Charlottesville? Like literally fucking everything. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, well, here's my proposed jury questionnaire. Like, what do you think? By the way, how about we uh, dismiss this with prejudice? <laughs> and, <laughs> or no, I don't think that. I forget exactly what I proposed. I think I said um, misdemeanor, or not misdemeanor. I said civil infraction. I will plead to a civil infraction uh, that doesn't involve any probation. Right. Um, and, and he agreed to that. I mean, he had offered me a deal um, a few months before where he said, uh, he would give me a deal 30 days probation and I refused it because I figured a year pro if 30 days probation, like if you get set up, you fuck oh, up. Yeah. The yeah. Like, like you're going, you're, you're doing double then 30 yep. days probation, like 30, if I was a frat bro and I just gotten drunk and like done something stupid, like sure. 30 days probation, no big deal. Right. Right. But I know, I know what the game is. I mean, with this yes. stuff. So no, absolutely not 30 days probation. But so, remember, you did take a plea bargain. So, uh, what what do they get you on? Um, crossing uh, the street without street. a signal. Which I can, and you know what? I can. I insisted uh, that I so plead no offender. They effectively no, so I, convicted you of jaywalking. Right. I didn't jaywalk though, and I'm allowed to say that because I. Uh, um. Well. Well. I you took a I, plea bargain because because I plead I pled no low contender. I. Uh, I didn't oh. plead, and I was explicit that I I'm no low contender on this. I am not. I'm not, I did not do that, but I, you could probably, uh, you could find the evidence to prove that. Take, I mean, I, if you take the three can, camera angles and, you know, you look at the street from a few angles and you time the cross signal, you could technically convict Greg Conti of having jaywalked that day. So right. That's why you just got to cut your losses. So how much how much money did they they force you to waste and how much time and I mean four years, four fucking years uh, probably thousands I, of dollars, all to get you for a fucking jaywalking ticket, hey? 
thousands of dollars. Um, I would have spent far less if I hadn't hired a normie lawyer. Most of that went to the normie lawyer. I think I spent like uh, somewhere between five and ten grand on a normie Jesus. lawyer that was reported. Um, but like I, uh, as far as as far yes, it was a massive waste of money. Um, I've seen but, your massive calves. You could have caused a traffic accident if it, someone it, it, had run into you while you crossed against the uh, against the light, Greg. So they they saved a life that day. Yeah. Well, I I didn't um, I didn't spend as like if this ever happens again, I know what the game is and I can do it on a lot less money. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the main expenses, if you're not other than like having a lawyer, if you don't have a lawyer, your only expenses are mailing stuff in often at the last second and then traveling. Right. And, you know, that's going to be hundreds of dollars, but it's, you know, a couple thousand over, over years, but it's not going to be, you know, 10 grand or, or, or 12 grand. Yeah. So. I mean, just unbelievable. This is, again, this is a, a, a prosecutor that doesn't prosecute traffic offenses, uh, drops charges for black criminals willy-nilly, hounds Greg for years to get him on jaywalking. So, I mean, that that's all you need to know about this system. I mean, that's sort of what we say, that America in some senses is, is worse than South Africa. Right. Um, in, the, in that in that regard, that in, in South Africa, it's so incoherent that it's often difficult, although they do do it, too, to some extent. But it's so incoherent that it's difficult to uh, to get anyone on anything. But here you have America, which is highly efficient in harassing white dissent, but really inefficient in prosecuting actual crime. I mean, 16 cities in 2021 broke their homicide records. And I'm not talking about like some small city and, in, 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 you know, not just, it's not just Jackson, Mississippi, which by the way, has, uh, I believe it's 94 or 87, something like that homicides per, per capita. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, th this is, this is like, the amount of resources and attention they have to waste on us is objectively causing the rest of the country to collapse. Um, Chicago, New York, uh, you, you look at places uh, like Jacksonville, um, you look at various cities, Detroit, Los Angeles. You know, these are some of these are world class cities where a lot of business and a lot of zogging goes on. And yet the people that need to, to engage in this business have a hard time even going outside because of how dangerous it is. So in a sense, I kind of almost it's very inconvenient, but I almost kind of welcome the uh, the amount of money and resources they waste on us. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. OK. Uh, Frank wants to wants to know about the, the, the Rockwell pamphlet. What, can you just go over that? What's in there? Uh, so it was a, it was a, a court with a correspondence course that Rockwell did, um, before he died. So like you would, uh, write to commander Rockwell and send him a check for 80 bucks or something. And you could join his correspondence course. And every week or every month he'd, he'd send you the, or the American Nazi party would, would, uh, mail you 
uh, a lesson and then uh, there was a reading and then there were questions and then you fill out the questions and you mail them back and you get a grade. And like, so this, this correspondence course was specifically stuff related to political organizing. And he did it as a correspondence course um, to raise money, but also because he didn't want to just publish this so that anybody could see it. He wanted it to be a little bit exclusive. Um, great thing is now you can just get it for free. Unfortunately, he only completed uh, eight of the lessons before he died, I think, uh, because there's only eight in any published edition of it. Um, but there were like 30 some lessons planned. But the existing lessons um, include, let's see, one on basic criminal law. Uh, there's like one on activism. There's um, I don't know. I, I read it. I read it a year or two ago. So. Um, right. but it's, it's all really interesting stuff and he's got great stories, uh, anecdotes from his time. And, uh, I think one, one of the anecdotes he tells in there is how he dealt with, uh, some real, real hard, uh, harassment when he went to Dallas or Houston in the mid sixties, because he was going to meet some high level or potential high level donors. And the way the cops decided to intimidate him was they put out cops everywhere uh, conspicuously reading the newspaper and like conspicuously eyeing uh, Rockwell and following him and like uh, following him in cars with sirens and everything. So he knew he couldn't just go to these donors and have the meeting that he wanted to have because he would basically be doxing them. Um, but at the same time, he couldn't just like take the L and like go home. So um, he was illustrating the point that basically you you need to impose costs on the system, even even if you you know there isn't much you can do. Right. Um, so what he what he ended up doing was he went to his hotel room um, and assumed that the phones are tapped, assumed um, that there were like listening devices and and everything, and he made a couple phone calls to local liberal um, media outlets and just acted really shady and said, "Oh, uh, I'll be delivering a package to you." Uh, today at 4 p.m. like it's an important content it's like you know, meet me here right. and hung up the phone and then he wrote a bunch of notes took the notes put them in the, the toilet um defecated on them flushed them <laughs> and then and like did all this and like you know so they could hear it or the cops could hear it <laughs> and then he he went to go and uh and find these liberals uh, or the whatever journalists and he he acted all shady like you know turned his collar up and put his hat down over his head so he was like you know sneaking around uh and then he went over to uh to the post office and and tried to get a, a money order for like ten thousand dollars or something you know really shady and weird and then uh, and then left and so the cops like of course he didn't do anything illegal and he didn't like he knew they were following him the whole time and then they had to like go and investigate all these people and uh, then they had to also go through his uh, through the sewer and like dig out his notes. <laughs> you know, MSU is also I don't know if you know about this, but MSU has long been a hotbed of political policing. Um, so in 2008, I didn't, I didn't know that. I I know yeah. uh, I know Rockwell actually gave a speech there, but I didn't I didn't know uh, about well, its, we, MSU's political history. We we know we know about Kyle Bristow. And um, in 2008, he had an organization on, on the MSU campus called the Young Americans for Freedom. And uh, a few years ago, Bristow did a Freedom of Information request 
on a very shady incident on the campus where there was an actual undercover FBI agent at one of the meetings for the students, Young Americans for Freedom. They started a, a campus chapter and fed a federal agent was sitting in on it and following him around. They had feds in cars following them around, putting them under surveillance. And this is in 2008. So here you have college students organizing legal political activity and you have the FBI's Detroit division. I mean, you'd think that the Detroit division of the FBI would have something better to do than follow a bunch of students around. Uh, and yet in the spring of 2008, they opened up uh, an investigation into the MSU Young Americans for Freedom and college Republicans. Um, so think of that. Um, so that, that, that's, that, that's all you need to know about MSU. It's, and they did it with the full permission of the MSU police department who helped them. Oh, you, want to, you want to talk about what a clown show MSU is actually now I'm, I'm thinking of it. Um, so, you know, the Larry Nasser case, right? The, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The gym coach who'd been like, uh, diddling girls for oh, yeah. years yep. and hadn't got trouble. And the FBI I, the, overlooked it. Yeah. Go ahead. The judge I had, I actually had the same judge that Larry Nasser had. Interesting. Um, but no, the, the, um, and remember, let me just go over that again. So Larry, Na th these girls were complaining that their gym coach was literally raping them, was, was molesting them, uh, under the guise of what, like Kegel releases, <laughs> something like that. And, and so he's raping dozens of girls and, um, the girls brought it to the attention of the FBI in Michigan but the problem was that the lead, the, the special agent in charge of the FBI in that division uh, wanted to get a job with the committee, the, the, uh, the actual committee that Larry Nassar worked for. So the FBI agent, if, if I recall correctly, the details, the FBI agent reached out to the committee. He's like, hey, I hear you got a problem with uh, one of your uh, one of your gym, gym gymnastics doctors. Uh, can I? Uh, what do you think? What do you think about me being on your, uh, you know, getting a um, hundred fifty thousand dollar a year job on your gymnastics committee? That literally happened. That literally happened in the United States of America. So, if you think corruption is just a third world thing, well, America is a third world country, and there's just as much corruption. I, I, you know, some people tried to make the Larry Nasser say cover up into this kind of like pedophile conspiracy or whatever, but it's not even that. It was just greed. An FBI agent yeah. wanted a job and he held this as leverage over the uh, gymnastics committee. And uh, it was another field office that brought it to the attention and it caused this whole commotion. Um, just another black eye for the FBI. More, more black eyes than the, uh, the wife of the cuck FBI agent that he beat. So this is this is what we're dealing with. Like wh whenever you see something like Greg's case or uh, these kinds of shady things going on, going back to Rockwell's time, uh, you have to understand who the people doing it are. These are just naked political actors, uh, sickos, perverts, corrupt. It's, that's who we're dealing with. So you have to keep that in mind when you're walking into a courtroom as a defendant. 
you have to have a moral indignation too, because that'll actually fuel fuel you to go that extra mile in your defense. You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I and I think like, he really did, rational, did well with the, that. The rational thing for me to have done would have just been to like take a misdemeanor plea deal, like at the very first thing, and just be like, all right, whatever. But, um, but on the other hand, I mean, that would have been the short-term rational thing to do, but long-term it would have been bad because. If you do that, you're basically just saying, like, yeah, I'm an easy target. Right. Yeah, that that's essentially what what it comes down to. Uh, guilt or innocence versus is this guy going to be a pain in my fucking ass? Is the virtue signaling of of dragging this guy through trial is or the political uh, p- potential political advancement of doing such a thing? Is that worth? having to hand over a uh, testimony from cops that doesn't match up. Uh, I, I believe you also tried to subpoena their body cam footage, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and oh, that's, like, that's, um, that, that's interesting. Yes, I did. I did get some body cam footage from the cops and I mentioned this in one of my discovery motions because I wanted to get like the names or I wanted to be able to call cops as witnesses whose cameras I had. Um, I never, they never gave me that information. The prosecution was like, well, that's not in our possession, blah, blah, blah. We're not part of the same branch. Da, 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 da. Um, they were too, yeah. But I actually had, um, one of the, the videos that I got from them was like these cops sitting around in their vehicle watching the whole thing go down. And they're like, they're watching uh, Antifa and they're like, oh, uh, whoa, people brought kids to this? Well, that's insane. Oh, shit. Oh, they're forming... Oh, are the are they forming a gauntlet? Oh, ha-ha. Shit, they're forming a gauntlet for people to walk through. Ha-ha. Right. So and the then cops they're like, oh, knew. They're like, and they're like, oh, these black kids right here looking like they're looking for a fight. Ah. Was another thing that they said. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, yeah, you know exactly what's going on here. Right. That opens the uh, that opens MSU and uh, the state police and so on to litigation, too. So they 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 saw I mean, it, it, they do have the they don't have a duty to intervene. That's that's precedent. Supreme Court's ruled on it. But just showing that to a jury uh, really changes the, their potentially changes the perspective on your case. OK, right. showing something like that. And they don't want to they don't. Honestly, the 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 optics of having the big the big bad Nazi win the, the trial is worse than just letting you go with with a plea bargain. Uh, so that that's like another lesson. Like if you have when you're a defendant, you have the power of discovery. You have the power to see everything. So use it. Use it. I know because I, I was uh, working on helping the attorneys in a, in a separate case uh, with information that I was able to, to gather, and that helped them get tons of discovery. Because the thing is, like, the, 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 the problem with discovery is that there's so much you can get that you can often get overwhelmed. So you need to have some kind of hint uh, from the get-go so you know where to start looking. And uh-huh. I was able to get some information in a case, and I sent it to the attorneys 
the the defense attorneys of a guy he was up on federal charges, and he was able to obtain information that verified the circumstantial evidence I had through their discovery process. And if you look at how, um, if you look at how, and again, it's illegal. Do not do this, but. If you look at how the uh, the fucking uh, the Michigan militia trial is being conducted, the, there's tons and tons of discovery being leaked to the media by someone <laughs> in that case, and uh, and that's working to help the defendants because it's it's uncovering this entire network of corruption, this inco- this entire conspiracy by the by the FBI to set these men up. Um, so use your discovery to your advantage. And while you can't leak it legally, if it does appear on a journalist's desk and that journalist publishes it, they are protected from um, fr- from prosecution under uh, freedom of the press laws. So keep that in mind when you are dealing with a circumstance like Greg was. Um, so anyway, Greg, what, what, what do you think the main lesson is coming out of this? What do you think people should just keep in mind and take away from this? Uh, well, there's a few, um, for one thing, like, you know, if you're involved in this sort of stuff, like people might tell you like, Oh, just don't get involved with the legal system. And it's like, well, that's, you know, if you're involved in anything serious, you're going to be involved with the legal system. So that's, that's not really an option. Uh, but if you are, you, one thing is, is like we were saying earlier, you're almost better off without a lawyer. Um, now, that's a very a statement that should be qualified, of course. If you have a lawyer who you trust personally and who understands the overall strategic picture and is going to fight and isn't going to be a pussy, then you want to use that lawyer. But you're probably not going to be that fortunate. Um, even if you know a lawyer, he probably isn't barred in the jurisdiction that you're going to be dealing with because there's a lot of jurisdictions in the country and, um, you know, good luck finding the right guy. So, uh, knowing how to represent yourself at least a little bit is probably, is, is worth it. Um, I would add one thing though to that. I would add, yes, I I would add that having, having a, if, if you're under investigation and you have federal agents popping up on your front door and stuff like fucking uh, get a lawyer, even if it's a normie lawyer, as you said, get a lawyer. If you have people knocking doors, if yeah, get a lawyer, do not talk to them under any circumstances, Uh, not even talk about the fucking weather. Do not talk to the FBI under any circumstances whatsoever in that in before talking talking about like a criminal case or a civil case case, you're probably you you should probably be assuming that you're not going to have a lawyer uh if it's political so or you'll get uh, a public defender who is more interested yeah go ahead which isn't necessarily the worst thing like you're better off with a public defender that you don't have to pay than an idiot private lawyer who's going to fuck you anyway and cost you a ton of money. Right. Um, but what you really, the one thing you can probably get and that you really want is somebody who can do your thinking for you, uh, who can like help you 
like strategize, can talk out the case with you, um, who can help you write motions potentially. I didn't have that basically. I, I was writing my own motions. Right. But, um, but like whenever I was able to contract out some thinking, it was very helpful. Right. You have to understand. I, I've talked to I've talked to lawyers. I've talked to lawyers about this. Um, one of the reasons why lawyers that at the very minimum support our First Amendment rights, they don't want to publicly defend us or can't because they're literally afraid of violence. They're literally afraid that if they defend people, they will have kind of actors like like anarchists and so on come and hurt them okay and and trust me there's no one you can call to protect you when that happens if if you're on the wrong political uh wrong side of the political spectrum according to the system so it's literally in this country a political dissident cannot get legal support because they are afraid that they will be murdered if they represent you and then there's also other factors like, you know, we, we, we can talk, we, we, we don't want to name names, but we know about a lawyer, you know, that suddenly just said, I can't do this anymore. And there's a lot of theories for why that is, and we don't want to speculate, but one of the theories is that the FBI was threatening him into not engaging in legal advocacy for First Amendment stuff. Um, so this is this is a problem in general, and it requires two things. It requires one, uh, money to fund legal help, and possibly even personal security. And number two, it requires moral courage. People that are lawyers and are competent and and understand that we have a right to speak and a right to a fair trial. These right. people need to stand up and have the moral courage. Represent us, but I'll in see, the meantime, yeah, yeah that, that reminds me. The, the other thing that that you want, the other takeaway is that your your strongest card, in a way, is probably going to trial. So you have to make the other side think that you're willing to go to trial, even if you're not. Um, I mean, and the best way to make them think that is to believe it yourself. So, uh, you know, if it goes to trial, if if you're talking about a civil case or a criminal case. Then you you have a jury there and it's very public. Uh, they it's they can't really cover it up. You know, it's going to your trial is going to be in the news. All the people who are accusing you have to testify in public. Uh, and and this it's a, a logistical nightmare. It's it causes friction between the various factions of the system. It causes friction between the prosecutor's office and the police and and whoever else is involved. And so. Your best, like, you might be weaker. You are weaker than the system at higher levels of violence and lower levels of violence. So what I mean by that is the higher level of violence is the system could throw you in jail. You can't do anything about that. Um, and the lower level of violence, the system can drag you through the legal process, make you spend lots of money, waste your time. They can harass you and, and, and push you for years. And yeah. there's not much you can do about it. But the one thing you've got that they don't want to deal with is if you're willing to escalate to a trial, then you can cause them some pain. And pain is going to be bad publicity and yep. wasted time, wasted effort. And right. these people are cowards. Most of yeah. these people are absolutely fucking cowards. 
your cops, your prosecutors, even their judges, your cowards. I, I would add it. now. I would add this that if if you're in a case that it's actually in your interest to have your if 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 it's relevant in your trial, like say state law allows it, or if it's a federal trial, to motion to have it streamed at least over the phone, like like sides versus Kessler, have mm-hmm. the, the public be able to listen to the hearings, to listen to the trial. That actually helps you if you're innocent. Because we saw the the amazing moral energy and moral support that the um, Sines versus Kessler trial got from us. Every one of the uh, of the different uh, of the different days of it had almost a maximum of people listening in. You weren't able to record it and so on, but we were able to do our own media. You do your own media, and you 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 are able to because remember. Half the legal battle in a political or a politically motivated trial is happening outside of the courthouse. So making sure that if, if you know, for example, I, I actually pushed one of the – I tried to push one of the lawyers in one of these Adam Waffen trials to publicize, to, to push the judge to allow the public to listen in to the trial. Um. I, apparently he didn't do it. I don't know. I, I have to look it up again if he did, if he tried and he was just dismissed. But if the mainstream media, because what happens is that judges will allow something like that if there is what they call public interest. And what they mean by public interest is did the mainstream media report on it as a national story? And if you're one of the, if you're a white nationalist, your arrests are always national news because they always blow it up. So you could use the Jews that that blow up your case in the public eye uh, when it's time to go to trial. You could use that to your advantage uh, and have the sham of your trial. Because one of the one of the main takeaways from Sines versus Kessler was that they had no case that 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 when you listen to the trial live minute, minute by minute, there was nothing, nothing. All it did to have this trial publicized was to make the defendants look better. So this works. If you have nothing to hide, you are innocent of what you are being accused of by these these nefarious actors. It's in your interest for the public to be able to listen in. So that's another thing. You know, we, we could also talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, right? That was another one that having the trial live and televised that was big streamed on youtube uh, helped kyle quite a bit so this is how we have to deal with these kinds of things you have to use the system's momentum against it and even though they will scare you and and listen there are penalties this is how the american judicial system works if you take your case to trial they will stack charges the way they get so many people to take pleas on bullshit cases is they'll say all right we'll take half half the charges away um and uh you you avoid facing 70 years in prison right there that's their that's their negotiating tactic is basically just like all right well you're being charged with like a zillion things and we're going to take a, right. take a little bit away that's what uh, the feels it's actually even bigger than that like the whole system everything about the legal system is just that 
Like there, there doesn't seem to be any quality control. Um, prosecutors just say a bunch of shit and basically the way it almost seems to work and the way I kind of thought about it was an argument. Every argument is the same. Like any legal argument you put forth is valued the same. And the judge is basically just sitting there tabulating how many arguments each side throws at the other side. And whoever runs out of ammo first loses. Right. So like, it doesn't matter the quality of your arguments, just say stupid shit. Um, the best, the best, a good example I can think of this in my, my, uh, one of my, a motion to dismiss hearing I had back in 2018 with my normie lawyer. Um, my normie lawyer basically logically like demolished the prosecution case. And then the prosecution stands up and is like, well, your honor, the defense said that we should value the video evidence over the, the photograph uh, above anything else. But I think that we should also look at the photographic evidence. And then he proceeds <laughs> to pull up a still a, a freeze frame of video evidence to to prove that we quit. We can't tell if it's true, if the cop has two hands on Greg or one hand. And because the cop testified that he has two hands, we can't tell if he maybe has both because we can't see the other hand here. Therefore, we have to let this case proceed. <laughs> So like it, it, it like the quality of your arguments don't fucking matter. Just give more arguments, mm-hmm. and and the, the the judge is just there to count count what's what's being said. And it's kind of the same way with with charges. Like they're just going to throw charges at you, um, and just as many charges as they can throw. So that when you negotiate down to one fifth of the the charges they gave you, you feel like you're winning, even though you're still being massively overcharged. Right. Exactly. Right. And and uh, I know a ton of guys that take plea bargains for shit they didn't do because the alternative is going to trial and risking life in prison from all the charges they stack. Now, this can be debated, though, because, you know, if take, for example, the case of the Adam Waffen divisions uh, prosecution, only one of them took took his case to trial, to my knowledge. He was convicted. But. Um, they want to give him 78 months. This is uh, Caleb Cole. They want to give him 78 months in prison, even though his co-defendants, including the the alleged ringleader of the conspiracy, got like two years or three years. So they punish you just for making your case that you're innocent or they try to punish you. Now, his lawyers are arguing right now to the judge that like it's just like because you know technically greg on paper it's not really uh good good law good convincing law that uh someone needs to be punished harsher just for taking their case to trial it's more so a kind of it's kind of a, a a whispered element it's actually not legal frankly it's not right. legal according to american law to give someone five extra years, 10 extra years, 20 extra years than his co-defendants just because he took his fucking case to trial. And the value of Caleb Cole taking his case to trial is that he was able to actually uncover uh, that this satanic, Satan-worshipping, you know, uh, a ter- terrorism-supporting group was run by an FBI informant, a long-lasting FBI informant. And if it wasn't for him taking his case to trial, that would have never come out. So, you know, I I reported on that previously, but it was confirmed during the discovery process and then later during the trial. 
Um, so that's the value of taking these things at trial. I mean, that was a huge injury to the yeah. prosecution. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's another thing that goes along with that, like stacking charges uh, that you were mentioning. It's that the entire, the, the strategy of the, the system is to drive you insane and demoralize you. Um, so they just come at you with, with the most outrageous frame. I mean, my, in my case, they were coming at me with, you might have, uh, they actually, I'm not even sure what the legal theory was. The charge, I was charged with assault slash batter slash obstruct slash wound slash resist an officer in the performance of his duties. Okay. So this is a special like Michigan law that's basically just made up whenever they need to arrest somebody, they just use this law because it, it, as as the prosecution wants to interpret it, basically just means if you look at a cop, mean then you're guilty of a felony. Well, just um, just real quick, just looking at the very logic of your arrest and charges. So they're charging you with resisting arrest. Why were you in handcuffs to begin with? Well, right, but the charge is it's not just resist; it's also it's all these other things too. And and right. what you have to understand is like. I'm not being charged with assault. I'm being or resisting arrest or obstructing copyright. I'm being charged with all these things as one charge. This charge has its own legal precedent. So like if you're looking, if you're trying to argue this charge, you can't just look at the common law precedents for assault in Michigan because it's not relevant. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm correct in that interpretation. I've actually asked a lot of people and no one can answer me on this. Um, I'm pretty sure that basically the only precedents that mean anything in this are this particular, I forget the 700 458, whatever charge that only those press only cases that actually went with this charge before matter. Um, so, so there's that. And then the, like I'm being sure. So I was being charged with this and there, I was never at no point was I sure what their theory was. Like, I don't think they were going to claim that I assaulted the cop. Maybe they were. Um, I never touched him. Um, maybe he thought I was about to punch him or something. But I mean, I, whatever. Uh, but like but the main question, the main problem this caused for me is obstruct obstruction. Right. What does obstructing a cop mean? And that's why I was I kept pushing the court for plans, the cops plans. What were the cops trying to do? Because if my like I was thinking, all right, well, if the prosecution's argument is that my very movement, where I had gone, what I had done, wh where my position was on the field is what caused an obstruction of the police's plans or what they were trying to do. I need to be able to see what the police were trying to do in order to argue that. Right. Um, but like they, they just were intentionally vague about what they what I was being charged with or what exactly their legal theory was. And anytime I brought this up and I pushed for this, I said, I want to build particulars. I need the prosecution to say what, what possible legal theories there are here so I can disprove any one of their particular theories. Give me six different theories, like whatever. But right now I'm dealing with a million different theories. There's a million different permutations of what this charge might mean. Give me like a, a, some number of possibilities here. Let's eliminate a few things. And they wouldn't do it. The prosecutor was like, well, oh, I don't want to have to give away my legal strategy. And it's like, fuck you. I know your fucking legal strategy. Your legal strategy is confuse the jury, say a bunch of shit, 
I, even if I spend, and if I have to spend my entire defense defending a million different theories, the jury's going to be like, well, I don't know. He might be right about like 99% of these, but he probably did something, therefore guilty. Like, I get it. So, so yeah, you, there, the main strategy is basically just to overwhelm you um, and to frame it in a ridiculous way. Right. And, and so like, I'm my whole time in my trial, in my battle with these people, I think I perceived correctly what my lawyer, what my normie lawyer never did and what a lot of people never did, which is that it doesn't matter. Disproving their argument doesn't matter. They have infinity arguments. Their argument is absurd. The the this it's immaterial to this case. But as far as a jury is concerned, as far as far as justice is concerned, and as far as like any sane person is concerned, the main problem here is that the cops are absolute shithead cowards. Yes. And that that is the main fact. And that can be proven a billion different ways. They are the ones who should be on trial. They're the ones who should be investigated. They're the ones who should be being punished, not me. Right. Well, I, I would I would make the argument that one novel strategy would be like when, when you're being charged in a, in a circumstance. Now, this isn't something I'm recommending. I'm not a lawyer. Let me just say. Uh, but uh, one legal strategy is that as soon as you get uh, charged, open up your civil complaint against them. Open up a civil lawsuit at the same time you're being def- a defendant. Uh, because there's ample evidence that the police were malicious in what happened to you um, in terms of allowing the violence, allowing incompetence with the anarchists and so on. And even if it gets dismissed, putting remember the strategy, it's who who's got enough piss in their kidneys uh, to drown the other side. That's who, right. is, who can piss on the other the most until one side drowns. So overwhelming them with shit is another strategy okay if they're overwhelming you you overwhelm them back always remember if you are if if you are only defending you're losing that's the way it is okay now you could you could do like you know oh uh you just have to prove uh that that you aren't guilty beyond reasonable doubt yes that's true if you're a black serial killer uh, but it's not true if you are a dissident. So yes, but anyway, let's. Uh, we're, we're running up. We got 20 minutes left. Uh, Frank, we got questions. All righty. We got uh, Tam here with 1488. Thank you, Tam. Thank you, Tam. Thank you, friend. Um, one Libra, long live. And JP, great job, Eric and Greg, with advocating for the white common man. Long live white uh, Jamhira. Jam- <laughs> Jamaria. Jamaria. Oh, <laughs> Greg knows what that is. <laughs> Yo, yeah. He must have seen your is. video, Greg. <laughs> Gaddafi's system, uh, though I use it, mean though I use it to mean global white unity and death metaphysically the to the Zionist devil machine. Much love from the humble Iranian American white. Thank you, sir. Thank you to our Iranian friends. Uh, next one. Hail victory. Um, uh, Cardi, 
sends five Libra. Here's some Bray Bucks. No one. Uh, what's whatever. Bray? What's oh library? Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. thank you, thank you for your library books. Hope they are worth something. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, we got twenty five from uh, from. Daslin, Daslin, something with an emoji there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, one Libra from uh, Forest Elephant. Question for Striker: How do you uh, uh, how do you argue with people when you try to bring up the unique evil of Israel, their human rights violations, and treatments of the Palestinians, and they to Derail, de derail conversations to what about my China, my Uyghurs? I that one, that one's a hard one. Oh, uh, okay. They're, they're saying. I mean, the thing is, first of all, stop having conversations with the type of conservative that even knows what a Uyghur is. Yeah, because those people are long gone, my friend. Anyone that that is worried about the Uyghurs in China, like that isn't like Jewish already is like just long, far, far, far gone. You're wasting your breath in many cases. Uh, however, if you do want to make an argument, uh, the Uyghurs are not being ethnically cleansed from China. Okay. They live in China and they are expected to share a country with Chinese people. And that's all it's happening. Oh, and the Chinese will not allow them to engage in terrorism. Very, very different from what's happening to the Palestinians. And furthermore, if you have a kind of, you know, uh, uh, Trumpy boomer type that reads a little too much Dinesh D'Souza, <laughs> then focus the argument uh, on America's relationship. I mean, what, what do people think? What, what does this, this, this uh, uh, potential person think of the Israeli government uh, sending Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell to kidnap white white girls from foster care and pimping them to blackmail America's elites. What do they think of that? Drop that one on that. What do they think of the Israeli government doing shit like that? What do they think of the Israeli government putting fucking listening devices all over Washington, D.C. so they can spy on America? What do they think of like time and time again uh, all of the problems that America faces in the Middle East from its support for Israel? So, you know, it, you know, I know there are like some some uh, Hobbesian or Nietzschean impulses amongst conservatives and, and so on that, you know, making the, the, the human rights argument for Palestinians will not necessarily reach them. But if, if they you test them on their patriotism, say, do you believe that a foreign country has a right to blackmail our entire fucking elites? Do you believe that? Because that's what happened with Epstein. And it's not speculation. It's there's books that were written by former Mossad agents that affirmatively say that Jeffrey Epstein and Maxwell were working on behalf of Israeli intelligence to blackmail uh, every, pr pretty much every famous, powerful American uh, Gentile. So make those arguments, okay? Let's see, are the, are the Chinese really doing that? No, they're not. They're not. So let, let, the, not, not to that level. So let's uh, let's move on. For sure, um, we got uh, an, another one for uh, for Contra here. Uh, since uh, 
what was this? Uh, since you're well-read in classic Greco-Roman history, what work of historians or scholars of the classical classics would you personally recommend? I asked this. Uh, I asked this since it is not going to be long before the classics become completely. What is this? Backwash. Blackwash with uh We was Kang's crap if it isn't already. Okay, well I guess if he's at hmm. uh a good place to start is Edward Gibbon. Uh I mean he's maybe not the most uh the most like recent scholar, it's two two hundred plus years ago, but uh Gibbon's Clan and Fall of the Roman Empire is, is good. I've read uh, I've read volumes one and two. Uh, I'll eventually get through volume six. Uh, Gibbon's great because he gives a, just a, a good overview of, of the period from uh, Trajan till uh, the uh, the fall of the Byzantine Empire. And he does it in a very good style. So, uh, so yeah, I don't well, know. Read, like, read, read the originals. Herodotus well, yeah, and, sure, right. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, uh, go. Learn Greek and read Herodotus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like honestly, they, they are they're the best ones. I mean, you could find yes, Gibbons is great, but uh, it's inevitable that political ideology will seep into um, you know retellings or secondary sources to the point that maybe a a Suetonius or um, a, good one, a good one to read is um. Uh, Plutarch just as like an overview of like different uh, a lot of a good pistache of classical history it's just uh, kind of read uh, lives of Plutarch sort of at random yes Plutarch's lives are amazing um, let's uh, let's move on Frank uh, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, we got uh, Sir Spaghetti I think that is with uh, $15 with uh, no message there thank you sir Oh, thank you, Mr. Spaghetti. Yes, <laughs> yes sir. Um, oh, Jesus. Um, moving on to entropy here. Uh, that just fucked up. Never mind. We'll go to Streamlabs. Uh, Nazi, Nazi sympathizer. Yes, sir. Uh, 30. Um, I credit Greg with getting me into the dissonant right. I used to love his fash course history stuff. Oh, there you go, Greg. Cool. That's Are you something? still doing that? The fast course? No, I haven't. I haven't done that in, in years. Um, I, I ought to get back into doing stuff like that. I, I know people people like the history content and they like it told in a you know, somewhat entertaining way. Yeah. You you know, you want to do like a, a, a podcast that just it's all about classical history. Like that's something that I think would be really cool. Oh, that would, that would be fun. Yeah, I'll I'll. I'll We'll talk. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Next one. We, we've got some entropies here. Um, I got to log in here, but uh, no worries. Now, now that I now that I have time, because I'm not like fretting about this uh, stupid Michigan for affair. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's that's a huge load off your back. I mean, fucking that 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 that's that, that, that that heavy. Note, like. That like was it, heavier than the police officer you're accused of squatting. <laughs> on MSU. Oh, I, I actually, you know, 
I actually started to, in the last like few years, I started to think that like my inability to feel happiness was just a product of getting older. Um, but like in the last like month or so, I've had this like ability to feel things again that I haven't had in such a long time. Um, that isn't because of being older. I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that, uh, that it's not just like I'm getting older. And so I like, aren't, I can't feel anything anymore. It was all just a stupid case. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, just imagine you had, because you had real, real jail time looming over your head like Damocles' sword, right? Like, what, what if, if you had gone to trial and been convicted, what would, what kind of time would you have been facing? Uh, well, it was maximum sentence of two years. I mean, even that was unlikely, uh, given that I, I have no criminal record or anything. Right. But it's a political case, so you never know. I mean, they might give, might give you 30 days if you lose a trial, and you're six months. And who, who, who knows, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, just, just the frustration of, of it. But, you know, the best thing, what I always tell people is that when someone asks you how you're doing, even if you're not doing so well, you always have to you always have to be a happy warrior. Even if you're not feeling good inside, you just you just have to be uh, be like, I'm doing great because that infuriates our enemies. If, if your enemies see you being impacted by their bullshit court cases and, and litigation and so on, that alone is a victory for them. So denying them all victories at all times is is the most important thing. Use your use your stubbornness for that. Always think like, what if you know? Because there there's some people out there like I'm being deplatformed. You're ruining my life. Every time someone does that, anarchists pop oh, a champagne yeah. bottle and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, this works. Let's keep doing it." So you know, you always have to make sure you 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 don't do that. You know. So uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, next one, Frank. All right. Uh, we got entropy over here. Um, thirty dollars from uh, oh Jesus. Um, and and guard something and 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 a something. Uh, Mr. Conte, you are an absolute hero, and Mr. Stryker, you are a hero and a genuine journal- journalist. Uh, thank you both. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. It's very nice. Beautiful. Um, Ant, Ant, this is the the Brooklyn guy or wherever you're from. Uh, Just saw the Antifa bitch at St. Patrick's video on your Telegram. They do not know street fighting. A good smack or punch in the face would have shut him up. (laughs) Well, you know, again... We don't endorse violence against our Antifa friends, but Never. you know, as I as I commented on Telegram, showing up to St. Patrick's Cathedral during a religious procession uh, and and just assaulting people, that is a federal hate crime, right there. And people will say, "Well, who cares? The system is with them." Blah blah blah. Christians have the political contacts and the money to make something happen with that. Maybe even if it's not, you know, the the feds are never going to prosecute it, but a civil lawsuit that guarantees that anarchists do not get to 
fucking a permit to be outside St. Patrick Cathedral punching people. You can fucking do that. You Christians have the lawyers to do that. Okay. And yet they don't because so many fucking Christian groups in this country are run by shills. It's just a fact. I'm not attacking ordinary Christians. I support the people that are being victimized, whatever their race are, that are trying to just go there and, and engage in their right to religion. And they're being attacked. And one other thing I'll note, too, this goes back to the uh, thing we've been talking about where antifuzz, like the, the antifuzz we saw from 2017 to 2020, which were kind of like hipster transplants in New York City, those people have moved on. They're not doing antifuzz shit anymore. The, the, the people still doing Antifa shit are like really, really small and fanatical groups of Jews. Like the guy that was unmasked attacking that, that fucking guy uh, at the St. Patrick's Cathedral, that guy is like, like that guy is not some, some hipster bug man from Idaho. That is like a fucking knuckle dragging ghetto Jew from Brooklyn that took a train to St. Patrick's Cathedral to assault Christians. Let's just say what it is. Um, so if you're not willing to defend your rights when faced with something like that, what are you willing to defend? You know, I mean, that's just that's that's my my call to Christian groups. Use your lawyers. All the right wing, all the right wing legal stuff in this country is very much intertwined with Christians. Use your lawyers, use your legal power to sue these assholes, drag them to court, identify them, push prosecutors to hit them with hate crimes, even if they don't get that, even if they don't get it. Harass them using your legal resources and political resources and media. Okay? That's your pro that that's up to you, but that's my recommendation. If you tolerate this, the next time the Antifa go there to fuck with you, they will burn down the church. If you don't nip this in the bud now, they will go inside St. Patrick Cathedral and burn the fucking thing down. They did it during the George Floyd riots. Why wouldn't they do it now? Yeah. Okay. If they keep getting away with it. So that's all I'll say about that. Anyway, keep going. All right. Uh, we got um, bitter, bitter almonds with uh, – bitter almonds. That's great. Uh, when Libra uh, – he says, thanks, Striker. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah. All right. Uh, big tone, big tone over here. Big tone. Yes. Uh, $5 with, uh, Greg inspirational story about your trial. Important question. What part of Italy is your family from Sicily, Na Na Napoli, Napoli, uh, or, uh, Abruzzo here? Um, none of, none of those from, uh, Calabria. The base one. All right. We got that. There, yeah, there's there's a yeah, there's a town right in the middle of, of the narrowest part of Calabria where my family's from. Any more, Frank? Um uh, let me look here. Uh, no, I think I think that's all we got for tonight. All right. Well I'm I'm actually pissing myself, so uh I think we're finished here. Thank you, Greg, for coming on and telling your story. And uh, you know, anyone Thanks that honor Yes, and uh, anyone that has legal issues, you should listen to this um, and you know get some pointers about how to approach your thing. Again, we're not lawyers. This is just Greg's experience. But uh, there's some important information here for people that face criminal and civil litigation in 2021 America. So with that said, let's get out of here.
Thank mm-hmm. you.